Welcome back to the TCS Podcast. This episode's a little different, as it is part of the 2023 Blockchain Summit. There's a panel which features TCS CEO Todd Ziegler and other industry professionals for a panel discussion on the topic of supply chain on the blockchain. The session will dive into the potential benefits and practical applications of blockchain technology in the supply chain industry. The speakers will examine how blockchain can increase transparency, traceability, and efficiency by creating a secure and immutable ledger of transactions. We're in a period where double brokering is remarkably common, and much of what the panel is covering is one of the many solutions in fixing this real issue. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy. All right, well, welcome everyone uh, to uh, our discussion that we're going to have here uh, about the intersection of supply chain and blockchain. Uh, so I'm really excited to have this conversation, as, I, as I'm sure you are as well. We'll go ahead and get started. Uh, I'll be moderating the panel. Uh, just to quickly introduce myself, I'm Nehemiah Scott. I'm a teaching assistant professor here in the Geese College of Business. I teach supply chain management courses at the undergrad and graduate levels. And I'm also director of our undergraduate supply chain management program here at Geese. So uh, welcome to you all. And uh, we'll go ahead and start to introduce our, our panelists uh, that we have today. And then we'll get right into the questions and hope for a, a really, really um, interesting discussion. So I'm going to start with, with who I have here on the stage with me now. Uh, I have Todd Ziegler. Um, Todd is the CEO and founder of TruckCoinSwap. And um, uh, I'll also let him uh, introduce some other things about his background and tell you a little bit more about his business. Right here. So welcome, uh, Todd. Would you like to tell us more? Yeah, thank you. And uh, appreciate the, uh, the invite and, and the opportunity to be here. So I'm, I'm the CEO of Truck CoinSwap. Uh, we're a uh, blockchain-based settlement platform for transportation companies uh, in the $2 trillion domestic transportation industry. Uh, just a little bit by way of background on me, I, I like to say that I am a, uh, I'm a recovering attorney. Uh, before I, I helped co-found Truck Coin Swap, I'd been working in the transportation industry for about a decade, uh, primarily working in full truck log logistics, helping Fortune 1000 shippers source capacity, um, helping them work through procurement events, those types of things. And that's uh, where I kind of ran into this uh, settlement cost problem. And it's, it's really a pervasive problem. Uh, throughout the supply chain, but specifically in full truckload, and uh, happy to uh, to be part of a company that's that's solved that problem. All right. Well, thank you, thank you, Todd, and again, welcome. Uh, so, our next panelist uh, joining us from online is Rebecca Jenkins. Uh, so, Rebecca is a founder of TMN Global and Bex Media, and so welcome, Rebecca. Uh, would you also like to uh, tell us a little bit more about your background? Absolutely. Hello and uh, greetings from Southern Germany is where I am tuning in from here. And actually the picture behind me is the Swiss Alps. And that's where my company is based in Zug, Switzerland, which is also kind of a nicknamed Crypto Valley. Uh, and so I have a regulated blockchain company in Zug, Switzerland. And, uh, and we provide a payment solution uh, combining traditional asset classes like technology metals, precious metals, and rare earth metals with cryptocurrency, with blockchain 
technology. And so we are mainly uh, offering payment solutions to users, and that's where we fall uh, in the in the supply chain. And my background is actually very unorthodox. Uh, I did not come from commodities trading or uh, investments or even finance. I was actually uh, in 2018, I was America's under 30 tennis coach of the year. <laughs> and, um, and I was in the tennis industry for over 20 years. So I was someone that made a huge, a huge career pivot um, over the last three to five years. And uh, I couldn't be happier with my decision. I love tennis. I love sports, but it's really nice to be able to get into a really cool um, industry that's that's changing. It's the future of finance. And I also have a digital marketing company based in Florida that I help small businesses uh, as well. So yeah, happy to be here. Well, thank you, Rebecca. And very cool to learn those things about you as well. So thank you for joining us. And our last panelist is Ian McKee. Uh, Ian is the uh, founder and CEO of Solidos, as well as the Zero Waste Foundation. So Ian, welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us. And if you could also uh, tell us a little bit more about your background. Uh, Ian, uh, you're muted right now. Okay, sorry. Can you, can you guys hear me okay? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, wonderful. Uh, well, first, thank you for the invitation. Uh, super happy to be here. I'm actually at Consensus right now, which is a large uh, blockchain uh, uh, event, uh, and also at the Refi House, uh, so Regenerative Finance House. So very nice to be speaking to you from here. Um, I'm actually, my background uh, is a little bit different from Rebecca's. I did come from Wall Street, so I, I have a finance background. But really, I, I grew up in, in South America in a developing country. So I, work, I grew up in Brazil, um, was, had access to you know, beautiful places, a very special um, uh, upbringing uh, with nature all around me. And, and uh, uh, that kind of like, I think is at the source of why I'm doing what I'm doing. But uh, over the years, I went to the States, I worked on Wall Street, uh, got into sustainability, did a lot of lead certification and green building certification. So I learned a lot, all about the big problems that we face from a, uh, from a design perspective uh, and a certification perspective. And I think that uh, I'm really excited to be now in the space that I am. So Solos is a um, is a waste services uh, marketplace for companies that want to go uh, to high performance recycling. So uh, we can scale recycling rates, for example, in a developing country from 3% to over 93%. The environmental gains that come from that are incredible, right? Anybody that knows about the inefficiency of supply chains and the, the intensive carbon emissions that are generated from needless supply chains, we want to shut that whole thing down. We want to close the loop. Uh, and create a new marketplace that's going to be for recycling credits and carbon credits from the circular economy. Uh, and the Zero Waste Foundation, much like uh, Rebecca's company, is based out of out of Switzerland as well, which is we can talk about that uh, on a on a, on a, it's a it's a different subject, but uh, it's really important for uh, having a good regulatory understanding of where the markets are going. Europe is ahead of the U.S. unfortunately, uh, but um, so we're structured in, in that in that perspective. And just so everybody knows, we're we're launching our First carbon credits and 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 uh, and recycling credits from the circular economy uh, in the in the second half of this year. All right, thank you, Ian. Uh, thank you very much, and again, thank you for for joining us. So, before we get started with the questions, uh, just kind of want to let everyone know we have a few uh, several questions planned for today. 
Uh, we're going to go through at least a few of them first. And then, of course, after those, if you have any questions at all, you can see the microphones here. If you have any questions that you would like to ask our panelists, please feel free to come down. And then we are more than happy to include you in the conversation at that point. All right. So uh, first question is, is going to be related to customer service management. And the reason why is because when we think of supply chain, uh, we think of customers as being that demand point at the very end that's controlling demand. And what we've seen over time is that customers have become much more demanding, right? Uh, customers want to be able to buy things online and have them delivered at home. Customers want to be able to buy things uh, in the store and uh, have them delivered at home. Like right? they're looking for omni-channel solutions, but there's so many other things that, of course, customers are becoming demanding of. And that is changing what customer service management means in supply chains. And we view that as an essential supply chain process. So the first question is, what are your thoughts about whether blockchain can be used to enhance customer service levels? Like how can it be used? And um, especially in this age of uh, the more demanding customer. And to get us started, Rebecca, if it's okay, I'm gonna start with you. So what are your thoughts here? Yeah, sure. I think um, I think a, a huge thing that that blockchain offers, which is a, a lot different than traditional like e-commerce companies, um, is that it offers a sense of transparency, and everything is visible on the blockchain as a peer-to-peer -peer, um, technology, and so anyone can go and see how things are. Thing, things are done on the blockchain and it makes it really great for from a customer service standpoint that uh, that customers can go in and have that that transparency with the company to make better, more informed decisions about what companies are getting involved with, because if a company is doing some shady stuff. Uh, and they're hiding it, it's a lot easier to hide it when it's not on the blockchain, as opposed to using this this technology, so I know that's something that's really important with uh with our customers with my company is that uh you know our our customers want to know who's behind the, the business and what we're doing from a to z and everything is very transparent and and it's really nice that we have that uh that for our customers and it, and it gives it gives them a sense of trust and i know in the blockchain industry we're talking a lot about like trust and uh, and building trust is opening up the books and showing them that we're what we're saying we can also back up what we're saying as well yes thank you for that uh todd do you have anything to add to this yeah that that really goes right to the to the truck coin swap use case because uh we, we are a fintech and a freight tech company and the problem that we have in the u.s supply chain and logistics is shipper pay terms are egregious they're 30 to 180 days Okay, so if you're a three truck operator and you're, you know, you're an indispensable company, right? All these companies were indispensable during COVID when, you know, all of the shelves were empty um, and you deliver a load of potatoes somewhere and you get uh, paperwork that says we're, we're paying you in 120 days. That's a problem. You know, it costs you $1,200 in fuel probably to get from point A to point B. All their costs are front loaded. So from a customer service perspective, you know, we are a, a B2B operation. So these these transportation companies, uh, trucking companies, third party logistics companies, brokerages, they are our customers and they're not really asking a lot. They're asking to be paid on time and they're asking to not have to finance their own paychecks. Right. If you went to most people and said, hey, um, we'd like to get you your paycheck today, 
but we need to charge you a 35% interest rate until somebody pays us, you'd probably not be okay with that. That's what's going on in the supply chain right now. Um, on average, it is costing a, a owner operator or a trucking company $20,000 a year in net revenue per year on every truck to factor their invoices, to use a, a factoring company or a bank or a third-party intermediary to advance them their cash. Now, a lot of people say, oh, well, that's tough. Like, that's really awful. But they don't realize how that impacts everybody else, right? What that does is it artificially increases freight rates. It artificially increases supply chain costs. And when all of us go to the grocery store or go to a retailer to buy something, all of that stuff is baked in. So we like to talk about it in terms of we've got these two silent taxes in the supply chain. One is inflation, which everyone has gotten much more educated about in the last couple of years. The other one is this hidden factoring cost. And the only way to truly solve this problem is instantaneous settlement utilizing a, a blockchain platform and what we call a non-security digital asset. That's, that's our Polygon token. And this is not a, a theoretical thing. Uh, in December, we announced the first ever, uh, the world's first ever freight settlement on the blockchain utilizing our Polygon token. Uh, we've got about 350 users that are ready to, uh, to kickstart with us next month. We've been at this now for about a year and a half. So um, yeah, solving problems in the supply chain is critical, not just because of, of user demand, but because of all of these systemic problems that we have. And in the, in the specific case of payments, um, blockchain and, and Web3 tech is, is the only way to truly solve it. All right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Ian, uh, do you have anything to add here? I was reflecting on the two comments, which, were, which are great, by the way, because we're talking about um, sort of the essence of blockchain on one hand, uh, what Rebecca was talking about, and it's really about immutability, right? So you're talking about things being on a blockchain. Uh, there's, the, there, there's the trust factor that can be established between uh, parties, uh, and there's a public. The exciting part, part of this is, is really exciting to me as well, is that there, there can be elements that can be recorded on a blockchain that are public and others that are private, which are going to be important for transactions that occur along the supply chain, but they're recorded through digital signatures on the blockchain. So even though you have, you're going to have all of this data going on uh, and you're going to, in the future, right now, nowadays, the way we use blockchain today is most, a lot of stuff is on chain and some of the private stuff is off chain, which it's kind of like a hybrid model where we're migrating into this world in the very near future with, uh, zero knowledge proofs and, and, and other privacy mechanisms, we're going to have, be able to have private and public data on a blockchain, which is going to be unbelievable because then you can parse the actual exposure to data to certain actors, like for example, regulators or banks, or maybe even uh, you know, a, a certification entity. So there's a lot going on. And, and, and I think what, uh, what Todd was talking about, you know, our, our financial markets are really, really inefficient. I mean, they're just really, really... Uh, um, uh, there's a lot of room for improvement, and that's why the whole promise of DeFi comes along. Um, and I think that you know, once you combine both the DeFi side with this new network state or this network infrastructure that can be have all these new controls uh, uh, and provide sovereignty as well for the individual users, you can choose what's public, what's private, what goes on chain. Um, it just opens the door to everything. And I think the title of one presentation that I watched yesterday is the inevitability of of blockchain dominance. And it's just, it's really, I mean, even with the world coming to an end with inflation, all these other problems with regulatory problems in the US, 
there is no way you can fight this. Efficiency and performance uh, and lower costs will win always in a market environment. And that's what, what the new blockchains are, are, are going to be building. Right. Thank you. And, you know, I, I love the way this conversation is, is going so far because it, it really highlights the fact that customer service levels is not just kind of for face value what the customer is experiencing, but it is a chain reaction of things that are taking place many times behind the scenes that we are very unaware of what's happening. And so this next question, I'm actually going to, you know, dial down a little bit more specifically on one of those things, and it's the cost component of logistics and transportation specifically. Um, why do I feel like this is something that's important? It, you know, if we look at the logistics manage, uh, the logistics manage, uh, managers index, I mean, there are statistics that show that that cost is going to continue to go up. And a large part of it is due to transportation and warehousing. And so this next question is about, can you share your thoughts on the impact that you feel blockchain can have or will have on these transportation and logistics related costs and uh, if it's okay, Todd, I, I would like to start with you. Sure. Yeah, and I, I, I think uh, you know, as as the transportation industry goes, um, we've got to disintermediate costs wherever we can, right? Uh, there, there are certain costs that you know, uh, certain costs related to human capital and real estate and capital equipment that are always going to be part of the equation, right? Um, and, you know, there's been some really good use cases that have uh, emerged in the transportation industry. A gentleman in the panel earlier was talking about SimbaChain. Um, and I know that uh, the, the trade lens um, product that IBM and Maersk put together, uh, they didn't quite get the traction that they wanted to get. But I think they've built a good foundation for tech in the future. Um, so it, it's just kind of about whittling it down to the real use cases, right? Uh, because there's been a number of, of things in blockchain um, specific to track and trace and not, not to disparage any companies or any builders or, or, or any solutions that are out there. But I think a lot of those companies kind of had to wave the white flag and say, well, you know, maybe this, this tech is, is a little bit better. Uh, but it's cost prohibitive, right? Or it's or it's just not as cost efficient as um, you know some of the the devices that we can use right now in track and trace. Uh, so it's just uh, as an industry and and kind of the the Web three crypto digital asset industry. You know, I, I like to think of it as a convergence, right? We we talk all the time about how you've got two trillion dollar American industries converging, and that's a really cool thing. Um, and it also creates a lot of uh, interdisciplinary um, collaboration, right? So I, th I think, and we'll see more great use cases over time. There's there's a couple good ones right now. I'm I'm not entirely objective on this. Like I think ours is a pretty good one. We we talk about it all the time as a main street use case, right? Because we're not solving a one percent problem. Anybody who buys goods at a retailer or a grocery store is helping to subsidize all of this financial waste that's in the system right now that that can be disintermediated. So um, it's just it's a really interesting time. If if you're if you're interested in in the supply chain and logistics industry, I think we're going to see a lot more innovation in the in the years to come. Thank you, Todd. Um, Rebecca and Ian, do you either of you have anything to add to this? Just a, just a small comment because. Uh, 
I don't deal quite as as heavily in logistics as, as Todd does uh, <laughs> with the trucking. Um, but I do want to just mention that the innovation of smart contracts is the, a huge, huge deal with blockchain technology. And this removes this third party intermediary, this third party uh, that needs to be there to approve everything. And it makes things a lot more manual. And I think that through smart contracts, it allows logistics to be much more efficient, reducing paperwork, uh, reducing a lot of this manual uh, labor that that makes logistics work, right? We're seeing that there's a shift where there's a lot more things becoming automatic and it's going to save a lot of money and it's gonna save a lot of time, I think, in the logistics uh, in the logistics side of the supply chain because smart contracts is such a huge innovation where it allows things to be coded into uh, this contract without a third party being there. It's a peer-to-peer -peer agreed contract and it automatically gets um, it gets approved as uh, for payments going through, for communication, for documentation. And it just uh, overall makes things a lot more efficient, I, I would think. And, uh, and if I was working uh, more in logistics, I would say that would help me out with my business uh, quite. Okay, thank you, Rebecca. Uh, Ian? Yeah, um, you know, I think every uh, uh, tipping point comes when value meets, you know, the, the the cost of transitioning to something outweighs the you know the value of the new value that's being created, right? So whether it's the solar industry or any industry, any great technological evolution, uh, we've kind of been we've been in this trap where everything is Ethereum related, related or layer one Ethereum related with high costs like low throughputs, and everybody thinks that like you know uh, every blockchain is super uh, carbon intensive or super dirty when that's not, that's not the case, right? We got the Bitcoin uh, story. Now we got the Ethereum cost story, and now we're going into a new place where you know an entire blockchain can be running on the uh, on the power that's you know needed to run a cell phone, and costs can come at fractions of a penny. Uh, and when these new technologies, the new solutions are coming to the market as a user experience that the user doesn't even know is blockchain related, um, you know that's when the real value comes comes through. So I think kind of answering the first question that I don't think I answered properly in terms of the user experience, the user can't even know that it's blockchain. Um, they're just going to have a simple, you know, uh, a simple uh, user experience. But the entire investment uh, in blockchain over the last 10 years has really been about the infrastructure. And now I think we're, we're going into the use cases. So this is like the prime time uh, where, where I think the next two to three years are just going to be the, you know, this is when blockchain is really going to become per pervasive. Thank you, Ian. Yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more uh, with that. So. As we're going to transition to the next part of this discussion, like so far, we've been talking about, you know, customer service and transportation. I think the assumption is that we've been talking about how things get to the consumer. Right. But now I kind of want to switch the context a little bit and talk about how things get from the consumer. Um, if we look at the reverse logistics market, it's expected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of just over 5%. And so by 2028, that's going to be a, a little. <laughs> a little bit over $900 billion. And so what we're seeing is that there is a, an increased emphasis on this reverse logistics, how to get things back from consumers, uh, how to collect the products, how to store them, refurbish, remanufacture, recycle, right? And of course, that also starts with the design, but let's talk a little bit more about this reverse logistics aspect. Um, given that there are still a lot of challenges even outside of blockchain with reverse logistics, 
Uh, what are some of those current challenges and how do you feel blockchain can help solve some of those reverse logistics challenges? And uh, if it's okay, Ian, I would like to start with you on this question. Sure, that's a, that's a big question. I mean, there are a lot of problems. It starts with, uh, uh, you know, when you mix waste together, it's, it's too expensive and too difficult to clean waste and then sort it properly, right? And so we got to kind of unwind our, our entire philosophy about waste. I mean, waste mostly is, uh, you know, 50% of global waste is organic waste, right? So we recycle less than, at best, we recycle 18%, at, at worst, 3 to 5% in most, most places. So most of this waste is all mixed together. And the first thing we need to do is sort it properly. And that involves everybody around the world to do so. Uh, and, and we need to change. The only way to change behavior is to educate and incentivize, right? So the whole purpose, the, the why the Zero Waste Foundation exists and everything is to change behavior and to change the economics of reverse logistics. And so the environmental gains that are, the way we've solved this problem is we don't keep compete with anybody in the recycling market. Like we're not gonna be charging anybody like to pick up waste, to take waste, to sort waste, to, like the commercial markets for the uh, recycling markets, they need to be open and we're not gonna compete in that space. But we're adding value to that market by tokenizing waste that's recycled into environmental offsets. So recycling credits, there, there already exists a recycling credits marketplace um, in many places over the world, in the EU and in, 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 in the UK, also in Latin America, for Brazil, for example, just to give you guys an, exam, an, an idea of what that means, so if Coca-Cola generates 100 tons of plastic bottle packaging waste, they must prove that they recycle 22% of that. The next guy along the chain, like the distributor or the guy before that needs to prove that as well. So all of a sudden you get all this new money that goes into the recycling uh, economy and is able to improve the economics of actually recycling waste. Well, we're a part of this, we're a component of this part. Uh, and so what we are, uh, are doing is we're transforming these environmental offsets in, in using uh, digital assets, so tokens, to pay back everybody along the supply chain that contributed to that recycling uh, uh, waste unit. So there are many problems, but we must change the behavior at the source. And the way to do that is to use blockchain to track chain of custody and to help help bring transparency and rewards to these players. That's how we see solving this problem. Thank you, Ian. Um, Todd? Yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot to add. I, Ian's kind of the subject matter expert in this area, but, I, you know, and in, in, in every country is different. But I will say in, in North America, 72% of every, you know, good that moves, moves on a truck. So in the context of, of reverse logistics, um, if, if that, that sector of the industry is going to grow to the tune of, you know, $900 billion in the not too distant future, that tells me we're going to need more trucks and more drivers and more small businesses. Um, a lot of people don't know this about the United States in particular, but 90% of the full truckload spot market in this country is managed by 1 million small businesses. These are not the big trucking companies like Werner and JB Hunt. These are small businesses that are one to six truck operations. So another way to put that is if, if those 1 million small businesses disappeared tomorrow, Every grocery store and retailer would be rationing product in about three days, right? So that's how critical they are, not just to the aggregate supply chain, but to the aggregate economy. Um, and we're, we're going to need uh, a lot more human capital and a lot more trucks if the reverse logistics market is going to grow to that tune. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Um, Rebecca, do you have anything to add here? Yeah, I just want to say, um, Ian, it's really awesome to hear the work that you're doing um, with handling this situation that we have on our hands with the earth and sustainability. Like it's something that's so needed. And just to hear that there are so many new ways that blockchain technology is being used in order to trace and uh, and track the the waste that's that's going out into our uh, our our wonderful planet that we have, and if there's a way that we can um, that we can do something about it to to handle our waste in a better way that is better for the planet, that's better for sustainability in the future. Um, that is just a wonderful thing to hear, and I I know that there my, with my experience in this particular um, I guess category is just. VeChain, I know about VeChain is a, a blockchain that works with a lot of sustainability um, communities. And what's so great about the Web3 and the blockchain, uh, especially when I'm working a lot with cryptocurrencies and NFTs, um, but I know that a lot of people just want to talk about blockchain technology being in relation to cryptocurrencies, NFTs, and like Bitcoin, right? But blockchain is so much more than that. As we're talking about right now, we're talking about how it can it can potentially uh, reduce the amount of uh, amount of waste that's in our our oceans. It can reduce um, you know the the pollution that's going out into uh, the atmosphere because there's ways now because of our technology because of these emerging technologies that are coming out with blockchain we can trace things we can track things in a much better scale larger scale and do something about it and that's a beautiful thing that. It's not just cryptocurrencies, NFTs, and Bitcoin that blockchain has to do with, but it has so much more meaning and purpose in the world. And I think that's really important for you. That's you're watching this, uh, our conversation up here talking about blockchain technology, that blockchain goes much, much further than just cryptocurrencies and NFTs. I know if you've been watching the news, you've probably heard about all the things that are going on with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in the USA, but blockchain technology is not just cryptocurrency it is so much more the technology is the important part that we're talking about that's really going to change the world and uh, especially in ian's case and now also in my business which I'll, i'm sure we'll be able to talk about a little bit more in the next few minutes but there are so many more applications that are really changing the world and i hope that this talk will inspire you to do more research to learn more about blockchain technology Yes, absolutely. Uh, Rebecca, you, you brought up a, a great, great point in that blockchain. When we think about it, we oftentimes think about it as just a technology, but we have to think about the societal impact that it can have. And it does actually bleed right into the next question that I have. It's kind of on the serious deal of sustainability, um, but it's more so along the social good of, of the technology and then also the supply chain's responsibility in doing that. Um, when we think of, sustain, of social sustainability, we can think of conflict-free uh, materials, right? Uh, we want to make sure that if products are being built, that, that that money is not in exchange being used to fund illegal activity in another part of the world or is uh, disadvantaging children in another part of the world, or that it's not going toward human trafficking, which we know in global supply chains, that's a big deal. There's so many social sustainability issues. And so, Rebecca, to the last point, if it's okay, I'm, I want to start with you. If you could tell us a little bit more about 
what your business is doing and how it's using blockchain to, to help um, create a more positive impact. I know your area is more so precious uh, metals and things like that. So if you could share your perspective on that. Oh, oh, but this is actually the perfect question for me, Nehemiah. Like this is actually the best question. Um, so my my company, we're the first and only blockchain company in the world that provides users access to investments in commodities like physical technology metals and rare earth metals. There are other projects that do precious metals, but we're the only ones that do the technology metals and the rare earth metals. Um, and what's really what's really interesting about that question is what are we doing to uh, to protect our users who are signing up for our platform and who are getting involved in our project, right? Um, I'm sure if you're if you've heard anything about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, you've heard about the FTX scandal that happened, uh, where billions and billions of dollars were were uh, pretty much just gone with the wind. And I know some of those some uh, some of the, the the funds were recovered. However, uh, a lot was lost and a lot of people um, were, were left with nothing. And the fact of the matter is FTX was based and regulated uh, in the Bahamas. And um, there's a big difference between the regulation in the Bahamas and the regulation in Zug, Switzerland. Switzerland has the highest uh, stringency on regulation. And my blockchain company, we, it actually took us 10 months to get regulated because they went through every possible document background check. They pretty much asked us every question in the book other than what color is our underwear, everything they could possibly ask. And uh, and it, it was for good reason. They did that. They're, they did their due diligence. They made sure there's there's six founders in my company. And uh, and at the end of the day, even though it took us 10 months and it was such a headache, it was such a pain. Uh, I know that we have that to show our community that we did that that we took 10 months um, to get this regulation by finma by the government in switzerland and every six months we have to ab uh, abide by an audit a financial audit we open our books and we show what we've been doing with the money and we everyone we onboard onto our platform has to go through a kyc know your customer identification verification and we have to abide by anti-money laundering laws so there's quite a quite an extensive process my company goes through to ensure that the the community our users uh their digital assets are protected and that we're not going to go uh after you know after we take their funds, we're not just gonna go buy a bunch of Lamborghinis and buy a bunch of trips all over the world uh, just because we can. No, there's someone actually keeping us accountable in the, in the government of Switzerland that did not happen with FTX. With FTX, there was a, a, a pooled uh, wallet, digital wallet of all of the funds. And so if um, if Ian were to say, okay, where is my where's my Bitcoin and all of this, this big pool of money, uh, the the founders of FTX would have said, oh, you know, it's it's in there, just trust us. Like it's in there in this billions and billion of dollar pool. Um, but that's very, very much not legal in many countries. And so we actually, we actually had to program um, custody wallets where all of our individual community members are actually have their own segregated wallet that shows and proves legally that they own the digital assets 
so yeah, so regulation is something I'm very familiar with and it's something that I think is coming not only to more cryptocurrencies out there, but to blockchain technology as it advances into bringing more of the e-commerce companies into this newer uh, technology and into the supply chain. I think regulation is is going to be there every step of the way. As long as regulation doesn't go too far, I think it'll be a good thing for the future to protect people. Okay, thank you, Rebecca. That's very interesting. And, and I kind of want to continue on to this point about yes, regulations because uh, you know regulations in the supply chain already is a big thing. And then we also know that there has been a lot said about regulations and just use of blockchain technology as a whole. So when you combine the two, I'm sure that everyone, regardless of whatever industry you're, you're, you're participating in and your business is in, you also have to consider those things. I'm curious, uh, Todd, if, if, if I can ask you also this question. I mean, in, in the, business, the industry in which your business is in, um, how does blockchain and regulations intersect and what type of challenges have you had to deal with? Yeah, and I, I, you know, with the disclaimer that this is not a legal opinion, uh, there, there's a great deal of intersection. And, you know, you turn on the, the evening news, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, who has jurisdiction between the SEC and CFTC? What did Chairman Gensler say today? Uh, what, did, uh, what did Chairman Pierce say today? Um, I, I think that there's a lot of really interesting things, it, at least as it relates to the United States, right? Because we're talking about global jurisdictions, right? Um, there was a, a really progressive and comprehensive piece of legislation that just passed in Europe. Um, but I, I don't think a lot of people are privy to everything that's going on on Capitol Hill right now. The, the House Financial Services Committee uh, created a digital asset subcommittee for, for the new session of Congress. Um, and there's some really fantastic things, uh, fantastic work that's being done. By and large, the, the, the crypto digital asset Web3 industry, and again, I'm talking domestically, we want regulation, right? We want, we want guideposts. We want a framework uh, saying that, oh, we'll just go look at a, you know, a United States Supreme Court precedent from 1946, and all the rules are right there when the Supreme Court was looking at whether or not uh, you know, a fruit orchard constituted an investment contract. Like that's a little gray, right? Like we need we need to follow the lead of uh, you know. It's it's kind of strange to say this, but from a regulatory perspective, we need to follow Europe's lead on this, and 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 the lead that's in, in some of the South American countries as well. And we need to create a a um, a comprehensive framework because the big problem for for countries um, who don't do that is you're spurring innovation, you're offshoring innovation, and you're creating all kinds of economic encumbrances to capital formation. That is a massive problem, especially in a, in a country like the United States that has led the world in you know, innovation as it relates to finance. And I just wanted to, to make a quick comment on, on your earlier question about you know, conflict-free goods and services. Like, I don't know if we're going to live in a world three to five years from now where I can scan a pair at the grocery store and blockchain traces that pair all the way back to its point of origin. So I can ensure that like child labor wasn't involved in bringing that pair to market. I don't know if consumers are going to demand that. All right. They might. But, you know, this reminds me of, of how the uh, the industry around electricity innovated 100 years ago. Right. Everybody said, why do we need electricity? Like whale 
oil lamps work perfectly. You know, nobody's driving at night. You know, nobody saw the need for small appliances. Nobody saw the need for air conditioning. Nobody saw the need for refrigerating goods inside your home. But because we had that innovation and because we found that healthy balance between innovation and, and regulatory frameworks, we were able to lead in the development of that technology and those products and services. So uh, we do have some good things going on in this country, but the pendulum has uh, swung far too far uh, over to the side of you know regulation by enforcement actions. And, and to a point that was made earlier, so much focus on just the speculative component of cryptocurrencies, right? You go read the Satoshi thesis, it's not talking at all about speculation as a use case, right? It's talking about disintermediating third parties, improving payment rails, increasing quality of life. So the underlying tech is what we need to be focused on. Absolutely. Thank you, Todd. Um, Ian, uh, same question, uh, this intersection of regulations and, and blockchain in, in your industry. Well, Todd, thanks for bringing some joy and some hope to this market in the U.S. I mean, you're the <laughs> yeah, you, you you brought some uh, insight there that that I didn't even know was going on. So that's very uh, good to hear. Um, yeah, I think I think the the overall sense is that you know people are scared and worried about what the what the what the regulators in the U.S. are going to do, and it becomes too risky for a, for an entrepreneur or to an investor to make you know to really take big bets on the American market at this moment. Uh, but, you know, the U.S. is the U.S. for several reasons and uh, always ends up, I think, I wouldn't bet against the U.S. And I mean, I lived half my life outside of the U.S., but I, you won't you don't bet against the States, essentially, is my, my point of view in that sense. And so I think that I think that it might take longer than we hope we would hope, but hopefully it'll come stronger and better. Um, and I think the focus really is what you guys have been talking about earlier. Right. So we're talking about, you know, first on cryptos and ICOs and then stable coins and then the DPEG and then FTX. FTX was actually a hedge fund that was using depositor accounts. I mean, that's that's completely that's insane, right? And you have all these big you have all these VCs that are backing this company and you have the SEC and you have the SEC actually speaking to FTX. All of this is going on and it still happens. So it's just really unorganized, uh, you know, un very unfortunate for the people who lost so much money. Um, but but anyway, this is a reason why this may speed up even. And um, and I guess Europe is is leading the way. There's a lot going on in Hong Kong as well. Uh, and I think the, the next challenges are really going to be about the user cases, right? Are we protecting consumers? Uh, and also the greatest challenge of them all, in my view, and also the greatest hope is really the, the, the creation of the network state, right? And the network state, the network state comes from the DAOs. And what, what are we going to do about the DAOs? And, and when you hand over, in my case, right, I'm talking about the environment and uh, like asking people essentially to own part in their future and constructing constructing a better future and doing the right things, so sorting ways properly. It's not that big of an ask, right? Uh, but huge environmental gains that come with it, and you actually provide ownership of that network. So you're not just like a, somebody who's there doing your part. You can actually, you know, own and and be a part of the network uh, and benefit and growing and contributing to a network. That's kind of a mind-blowing idea that that is, is is starting to happen in many um, uh, you know protocols and many uh, blockchain networks and blockchain businesses even where there's community owned and I think that's going to be really powerful and I don't know how the regulatory how quickly the regulatory environment is going to uh, uh, step up to to solve this but I think that that's where like the real gains uh, I hope are going to happen 
uh, over the coming years. Thank you, Ian. Uh, before I continue on with my questions here, I just kind of want to remind everyone who's, who's here in person with us, if you have any questions at all, please feel free to come and ask your question. And in fact, maybe I'll take a small break just to see if there are any questions from the audience right now. Um, if not, that's okay. We'll continue on with questions. And if you think of any, you can come down here, but I'll take a small break to see. Come on up, ask your questions. <laughs> Happy to hear them. <laughs> and by the way, Todd, I've never heard anybody ever say uh, financial waste. I love that. I've never heard that. That was like the. I'm gonna. I'm, if I don't, if you don't mind, I'm also gonna use that term from. Uh, no, I mean, it, in in a way, we're in the same same business, right? Just I love just it. I waste, love it. I've right? Never... Yeah. 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 <laughs> Would, any, um, would anyone like to start us off? And Rebecca and Ian, I just want to make sure you could also hear the, the question. We couldn't at all. Oh, okay. So uh, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but I think the, the general idea of the question is, you know, when it came to, I'll just use COVID-19 as an example. Um, when COVID-19 happened, there was a tremendous bullwhip effect that happened where we saw an imbalance in supply and demand. And so the question is, do you think that it would be different uh, that we would have handled that differently had we been able to know how to use blockchain to manage that? Uh, yes or no? Yes, totally. I think that it's if blockchain is implemented the way that it's designed to, and if it becomes worldwide, if we, if that was the world that we lived in when COVID came around, it would have had it would have given a lot more. Um, it would have given a lot more insight into the governments to make quicker decisions about where the source of you know the virus was where the breakdowns in the supply chain were happening and it would it would create this sense of visibility that's just not possible in our current um our our current situation with the supply chain uh, because blockchain technology isn't integrated enough the way that you know we would like it to be i think we all like technology to go a lot faster but i think that um, if the world was completely integrated with blockchain, uh, COVID would have been, I think it would have been halted. It would have been controlled a lot quicker. Governments could have made more uh, informed decisions faster uh, to protect the people where that just wasn't the case. That's just not the world we live in. Um, so yeah, the answer in my my opinion would be yes. All right, uh, Ian? I don't have, have much to add to that. I truly agree with Rebecca. I also think that, you know, Government spends all this money and they're distributing all this, this stuff to people. And it wouldn't be nice to know like who got what or not, not who got what, but like what's being distributed. Is that is the, is the money that's actually being spent on all these resources or going to the right places? Uh, so I would just add that to what Rebecca mentioned. Thank you, Ian. Uh, Todd. Yeah, that's it's a good question. It's a tough question. I would answer it with it depends, right? Because, you know, the, the government of Sweden, for example, han handled COVID-19 entirely differently than we handled it here, right? There were a lot of countries where you had significant government intervention and some variety of modern monetary theory, right, with stimulus spending and all of this kind of artificial pumping of, of fiat currencies. Um, you know, I, I do just think, generally speaking, though, anytime you're able to disintermediate costs, disintermediate friction, um, improve transparency on, on an immutable ledger, 
I, I you know, there, there's just exponential value in that. Right. And I, I don't know if we could have necessarily, you know, cut off a, um, you know, the, the COVID strain utilizing blockchain technology, but um, you know, and a lot of this is kind of hindsight is 2020. Right. But uh, you know, I, I, I do think generally speaking, you, you look at the last, you know, I, I have three teenage daughters. There should be like a 12 step support group for that, you know, but I, I tell them all the time, <laughs> I tell them all the time, like, this is the most fascinating period in human history, right? Because we've seen more innovation in the last hundred years than we've seen in the last 2000 years. So I think generally you look at markets, you look at innovation of products and services, tech typically wins. Tech typically over time improves the, the quality of living uh, in first, second and third world countries. So I, I think the more uh, underlying blockchain, block, blockchain tech that we have integrated, the better. All right, thank you, Todd. Hey, thank you for your question. In the end, yep. Yes. Thank you. Oh, uh, so hi. So first of all, uh, thanks for all the speakers uh, gave this very in, uh, very in detailed uh, like lecture about uh, the supply chain as well as the the, 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 the blockchain or the decentralized uh, usage. So uh, I have a question. So uh, now, as a GS college student, college of business students. Uh, who are in the research track of MS Finance, who would like to uh, pursue a doctorate degree in finance and business um, uh, next year. I'm very interested in how to cooperate, uh, cooperate the concept of supply chain, finance as well as uh, blockchain, maybe uh, very interested in this topic. So maybe uh, could you, maybe could we discuss or could you give some hints from industry or from your uh, like work or research about how to cooperate these concepts together. Uh, because if I have uh, like uh, my previous understanding of them are just uh, from reading academic papers. So I also want to get maybe ideas for this, how these three concepts intersect together from a more diverse and from a, like a more different aspects of that. Thanks a lot. Hey, it's a good question. Yes. Would it take a crack at it here first? Sure. So I, I wish I wish one of my partners is here. He uh, he's the director of the fintech uh, engineering finance program at Duke University, right? So this is what they spend time all day long, right? How how do you innovate and, and iterate at this uh, convergence of of tech and and industry and blockchain? Um, I, you know. What we did at Truckcoin Swap is we tried to stay as true to the Satoshi thesis as we could, right? Because it all kind of starts there, right? Like there are a million use cases in that white paper. Um, and, you know, like the problem that we're solving, um, you know, uh, factoring and um, interest rates and, and costs associated with, um, with factoring and advancing cash against invoices or commercial paper. That's not just a problem in full truckload. That's not. That's a problem in every mode of transportation. Factoring is involved in almost every single industry, right? And if you have all of these companies and all these industries paying these usurious interest rates, 
and these outrageous costs just to get paid sooner, right? Like there's a million use cases there. And that that really is all finance because I mean, at the end of the day, what truck coin swap is doing, kind of like uh, with Bitcoin, you had miners that brought and still do that bring that Bitcoin supply cap to market, right? Um, in, in our use case, we have truck drivers and transportation companies bringing our supply cap to market, right? But you know, the 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 larger problem is 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 a problem associated with cost, um, is a problem associated with uh, you know too many counterparties in the system, and what we're ultimately doing is we're not we're not selling our token to the market. We're exchanging our token based on the value proposition for collection or assignment rights and commercial paper, which is a different asset class, right? So it really all is finance. Um, and I just, I, I think the Satoshi papers are a really good place to start, but there are so many pain points in so many different industries orbiting these issues. Thank you. Uh, Rebecca, I saw your hand as well. Yes, I jumped at this question because it's so exciting. Um, I'm actually pursuing my MBA in finance at Rice University while in the midst of being a fintech founder. So I applaud all of you for studying. Keep with it. It's amazing to be a student of the industry, a student in times like this, especially in finance where things are changing so much and technology is changing so much. Um, I wanted to speak specifically about my company, how we've innovated and trailblazed because um, we are partnered with the with the number one commodities uh, trader in wholesale commodities trader for technology metals and rare earth metals in Europe. And, uh, and so we actually took their really, really great, amazing, successful business trading uh, uh, these precious metals, technology metals and rare earth metals. And we convinced these old school finance guys, traditional investment guys that they need to put their company on the blockchain because there's potential that they won't only be successful in German speaking countries, but they'll also be successful globally, that they'll also open up a completely new demographic of people under 50, under, under even 40, that will get into their business because there's a really older demographic that's buying gold and silver, right, and the traditional investment. But a lot of younger people are into digital assets and cryptocurrency. And so we actually combined the old school world of doing business with investments and commodities with new technology. So I think that's a really great place to start. Um, if you're looking into studying more about blockchain technology or fintech in this particular industry, um, look into ways that you can combine traditional businesses on the blockchain and creative ways that you can do that because the world needs this technology. This is the direction that we're going. It's, it's helping in so many different industries uh, like Ian's, like Todd's, like my own and so many other co companies around the world. And so I would I would recommend that you 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 look there first. How how can you creatively bring more of the companies that we're already using onto the blockchain uh, and using cryptocurrencies or using this new technology? Right. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, I'm taking a look at our time, and I want to be respectful of everyone's time. So, uh, Ian, if you have a comment toward this, I think we lost Ian. Yeah. Oh, okay. Too much fun at consensus. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, right. thank you. And thank you for the question. Uh, we appreciate it.
Well, this has been a fantastic discussion. I know we have just a couple minutes left. So again, I want to be respectful of, of everyone's time here today. So I will probably end our, our seminar here. Um, Rebecca, uh, thank you for joining us online. I'm, I'm um, trying to give you a virtual handshake, I guess, right now. So uh, thank you very, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I wanted I to say, saw your hand can, raised, uh, Rebecca. can I, yeah, can I just have one final thing? Because I am, I'm sure. living in Switzerland. I'm living in, in, in South Germany, but I was actually born in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. And I think this is so interesting and so crazy how life works that I got the opportunity to, to speak today on this panel because I literally was born <laughs> in this town where you guys, I, I, my whole family lives in Illinois. So it's just crazy wow. how small the world is, right? <laughs> that is very cool. I'm, I'm really glad you shared that as well. This, that's very cool to know. Well, thank you again, Rebecca, for taking the time out of your day. Um, Todd, it's a pleasure. Yeah, uh, likewise, well likewise. Yeah. We also thank Ian, even though uh, you know he wasn't able to stay online with us, we thank Ian. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation. And if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to, to send them in. So thank you very much, everyone. Most of the cats you meet on the street, they get true love. Most of the time they're sitting and crying at home. One of these days, then all that better be gone.